Episode 124 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the internationally successful English actor and singer Noel Harrison, best known for co-starring with Stephanie Powers in the TV series The Girl from Uncle, and for singing the hit song The Windmills of Your Mind, which won the 1968 Academy Award for Best Original Song after it featured in the film The Thomas Crown Affair. The elder son of movie star Sir Rex Harrison, Noel was a member of the British ski team in the 1950s. I spoke to Noel in June 2013, when he was living modestly in Devon and experiencing serious health problems. Sadly, this turned out to be his last interview, as he died just four months later at the age of 79. So were you working these days? I've been mostly working with Villages in Action, our local arts council supported arts group who put on shows in village halls. And I've been doing that for about two or three years. And that's actually wonderful. It pays reliably and uh, they're nice audiences. And every village has one, you know. <laughs> now I'm thinking as I'm starting to push out a little bit and doing some more work, and I'm planning on an a new album to celebrate my 80th birthday next January. Oh, good for you. You want to hear what it's going to be called? Yeah. Stick with the music, kid. That's what Frank Sinatra said to me once. Is that right? Yes. Tell me the circumstances in which he said it to you. At a party at Tony Newley's house in L.A. Right. I'm sure he didn't just come up to you and say, stick with the music, kid. No, I had been dancing with his wife. That might be the reason. (laughs) (laughs) Which of his wives? Um... Mia Farrow. Did Frank Sinatra send the boys round to you for dancing with his wife then? No. <laughs> no, it was nice because um, I've been having stabs as an actor, you know, and sometimes when I first got the television series, I got people were saying, oh, he only does records because he's a celebrity, mm. which pissed me off because I've been a performer with my guitar since I was 17. So it was nice of him to say that. He liked what I was doing, which was very nice. Did he ever record windmills? Oh, God, no, it didn't even exist when he... And when you do your show in village halls and so on, what sort of show is it exactly? Well, it's what I do, which is pretty eclectic. I would say I call myself a trans-genre entertainer, which is a great mixture of stuff. The new CD will probably be all my favourite songs I've had through the years. And I love collecting songs and I love, you know, singing them for people. So are you hoping to get back into acting and so on and perhaps do a bit more higher-grade performing or whatever, bigger venues? I'm perfectly happy to continue the way I am, but I'd, I'd like to sort of spread out a little bit. No, acting, I don't, I don't care if I don't get any more acting jobs. I had a try at it here, and it doesn't seem to click very much. The thing for me here is that I'm really only known for windows of your mind, whereas I had a whole different career in the States. And When Those of Your Mind was not released as a single in the States. Actually, um, Dusty Springfield had the single, because we had a contract problem with releasing it as a single there. With Reprise, who was under contract to, that kind of thing. So it was released all over the world, except in the United States. And it went to number one in Venezuela, I'm happy to say. (laughs) But how do you feel about the song now? Well, it's extraordinary. I never get tired of singing it. It's a a very magical piece of work, I think, especially especially the music. What's curious to me, what's slightly ironic about it, is I've always chosen my own material and always picked songs that I particularly love, except for that one, which chose me. It turned out to be my biggest success. 
which may say something, I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> Maybe it says the songs I choose are crap, but I don't think so. <laughs> and just explain what you mean by It Chose You. The director, Norman Jewison, has heard, because I, I was on the radio quite a lot, I had two previous, two hits, two top 40 hits, top 20 hits. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, one was a, a Charles Aznavour song called A Young Girl, yep. which was big on pirate radio here, but was banned by the BBC. And one with Leonard Cohen's Suzanne. I was actually the first person to get the Leonard Cohen song played on Top 40 Radio. Yeah, it's a great song, that. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so he knew my voice and decided I'd be perfect for the for what he wanted, to sing the soundtrack on the Thomas Crown Affair. So I had my agent called me and said, Norman Jewison wanted to sing a song on the soundtrack. So, How much, I said. I was doing quite well at the time, sitting by my swimming pool. <laughs> he said, I've asked for $30,000. I said, that'll work. <laughs> and then he called me back a bit later in the day. He said, no, they're only paying scale, $500. So I said, oh, never mind. Who wrote it anyway? And he said, Michel Legrand. I went, how much do they want? <laughs> I'm a major fan of his anyway. It was yes. lovely working with him. Yeah, it's a great song. And, uh, but you didn't perform it at the Oscars. I didn't, I wasn't able to, because I was making a movie here called Take a Girl Like You with Oliver Reed and Hayley Mills. Um, the producer didn't like me and wouldn't let me off to go and sing at the Oscars. So that was that. Looking back, do you wish you'd somehow got there no matter what? No, I don't think so. Do you think it made a difference to your career? Not really. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's been a hugely successful record. And still oh, yes. played. It's a classic. It is. It's, um voted one of the top hundred movie songs ever things like that it's amazing and I get emails from people who heard it when they were young and still love it people yeah. who heard it when they were older for the first time people who are young and hear it people love the song and it's great to have a classic like that on my books and what have you done with your Oscar? I don't get the, the writers of the song get the Oscar not the, not the performer really? I didn't know that Oh, that's a bit of a swizz. Why? Well, it'd be nice if you did, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to have one. Yeah, I don't... I mean, never crossed my mind. Make a good doorstop for you. <laughs> well, it just isn't... It's always been the writers of the song that get the award, not the performer. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, Britain won this year, thanks to Adele doing Skyfall. What did you think of that song? I'm afraid I didn't see it. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah, some nice music going on. I think I think uh, we're coming around to a point where people are listening to lyrics more than they did for a while. There was a whole long period where basically the idea was to sing and nobody understand what you're singing about, I thought. But I've always been a word person, you know, with my music. So which of today's artists do you rate? There's no one in particular who I'm a big fan of, really. Mm. I mean, I like, I've, I've heard some things I absolutely love. There's a young guy whose name I don't remember who plays and guitar and sings by herself who has very lovely lyrics and mm. it was always poetry I mean one of the things that I used to sing only in French pretty much from my early years as an as entertainer because I thought the music and the lyrics were so beautiful and then along came Bob Dylan and then Leonard Cohen and there was poetry English language music rather than just uh, Moon June Spoon Croon Tune <laughs> Not that I don't like those either. I like the old Moon, June and Croon. In fact, I even wrote one. Right. <laughs> and another uh, great British singer who uh, recently turned 80 is Petula Clark. Oh, yeah. And she's touring this year. She's got a new album out. Um, have you worked with her? Yes, we did a couple of shows together. Because she sings a lot in French as well. 
Yeah, well, she lives in France, married to a Frenchman. Yeah. She's a nice girl. She is, yeah. A friendly woman, yeah. She, I remember the last time I saw her, I was in Monte Carlo for some reason. I was in, it was in the period when I was living in, in Nova Scotia and being a back of the land hippie. And um, I remember her saying, oh, you took that route, did you? <laughs> How do you look back on your childhood now? My childhood was quite wonderful in many ways. When I was a child, I lived with my mother's parents in Cornwall because it was during the war, so I lived in Bude most of that time. And that was very nice. Close oh, to sea. My grandparents were very nice. I saw my mother quite frequently. I was very upset when my mother and father divorced, which piece of news I got at school rather than from them. You know, no, I, I, had a, I had a nice childhood. There was a very high point when I, when I was 15. Does that count as childhood? Indeed. <laughs> Did my... I hired a certificate. I passed that when I was 15, so I was an exam freak. My mother said, I was living in Switzerland at the time, and she said, would you like to go for a scholarship to Oxford or Cambridge? Or would you like to come here and live with me in, in Closters and try and get into the British ski team? God, Mummy, what a difficult choice. <laughs> she cried. So I never went to school again. It felt slightly awkward in my early 20s when all my friends who had been to university appeared to be speaking a language I couldn't understand. But when I got to understand it, it turned out to be mostly bollocks anyway. <laughs> and bullshit. <laughs> Not all of it. <laughs> How do you look back upon that side of your life and the Olympics and so on? Well, I was so lucky for my mother moved to posters like that. I mean, that was just amazing. I look back on it with pleasure. I, I look back on it with a certain amount of pride, although one must remember that being in the British Olympic ski team meant only that I was able to qualify for the closest resort second team. That's one ski resorts team. We weren't pretty good, hmm. but we were, we were as good as the Russians at the time, which <laughs> was good enough for me. Yeah, yeah, quite. Well, they get more snow than us, don't they? Yeah. Skiing's never really taken off for Britain, has it? Well, we haven't got any snow mountains. Exactly. Yeah. One assumes you haven't obviously been skiing for a long time, but do you still follow it on the telly and so on? Did you watch the... Yeah, uh, I, I, I follow it. I gradually sort of... Yeah, I do. I follow it, not in great detail, but I follow some of the main races and especially courses that I raced on, you know, to have a look at them. Yeah, I follow that. I follow bicycle racing a bit, Tour de France, Giro d'Italia. Mm. I've been a follower of Formula One racing all my life, but that's starting to bore me a little bit now. Yeah, it's a bit of a procession, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah it has been procession in the past, but an Alfa Romeo procession was more exciting than these guys. I don't know. Who knows? I, I watch it and I, I record it and fast forward it. I'd like to talk about your dad, if I may. The obvious question that probably everyone has, what was it like growing up with a movie star for a dad? It had its moments, is the answer to that. I've, I've always likened it to being, being a girl with big breasts. That's the first thing that people talk to you about, you know, and you wish they love you for yourself alone, which I went through a long period of. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it, had, it certainly had its advantages. And I, I, never, I always tried not to take advantage of it until... Um, I was offered a very lucrative tour as Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady yes. in the States. And so I went to see my dad because I thought, you know, they were asking before I accept this. I asked him what he felt about it. He said, oh, why not? Everyone else is doing it. <laughs> hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, uh, been many things, really, being my dad's son. Some of them wonderful, some of them not so good. What was he like as a dad? to you? Uh, absent a great deal of the time. Me and my mother split up when I was six, so I didn't see a whole lot of him. 
until later in life. I, I got on very well with him most of the time. Um, I would say uh, an absent father, mostly. Did he ever express regret to you about that? No. Do you think he ever did regret it, that he didn't see enough of you and spend enough time with you? I don't think so, really. No, I don't think so. We were good friends at the end, you know. Did he ever give you anything advice-wise? He gave me a piece of advice about playing Henry Higgins, which is don't want the audience to like you. A nice piece of advice, because I, I modelled my performance rather more on Leslie Howard than I did on his. I am in possession of a wonderful thing that Dirk Bogard gave him on the opening night of My Fair Lady in London, which is a perfect reproduction of an 18th century playbill, only about My Fair Lady on 18th century paper with 18th century typefaces and everything. So, yeah, I quite like that. Um, but other than that, not a damn thing, really. <laughs> and which other great actors and stars did you meet growing up through the fact that your dad was a big star himself? I don't remember meeting any big stars as a small child, but I'm sure some of them were. When I went out to visit him in California with my mother in 1946, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. used to be a common person we saw a lot of, and David Niven and the English crowd. He says, anyone when you want you want to meet when you come out to see me? I said, yes, Abbott and Costello. He said, you didn't move in that same circle. I never got to meet them. Oh. But um, something you slightly take for granted, you know, growing up like that. Was show business something that you longed to get into or you kind of felt obliged to go into in some way? When I was 12 at that time in California, I decided I thought I wanted to be an actor. And my dad took me for a walk on, uh, took me to Malibu in his nice big convertible Cadillac. He took a walk along the beach and he tried in every way possible to discourage me from being an actor, mm. saying it's a difficult job and uh, you know, there wasn't much money in it necessarily. Let me get into his convertible Cadillac and ride back up to the house in Bel Air. And I think, huh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I tried being an actor when I was 17. I went into rep, switch, mm. and didn't like it all that much. Didn't really take to it. I took to the directing side more than I did to the, to the acting side. But um, I'd started playing guitar when I was 15 and singing. So that was what I, when I came out of the army, I was in two years in military service. Second Lieutenant Harrison heard the King's Own Hazards <laughs> and in the army ski team. And when I came out, I was wondering what I was going to do. I thought I'd like to get a job in, in the cutting rooms at Pinewood so that I could learn the trade of direction, film director, which I hankered after, because I'd done a little bit of theatre directing at school and been very successful at it. And they offered me a job in the public relations department, of course. Oh. And I didn't want to do that. Oh. So um, I decided, with the advice of Cy Grant, if, if you remember him. Cy Grant, yes. I saw him perform live. Yeah, he was, my, he was my mentor in those days. And I went down to this Greek restaurant in King's Road called Baboan and asked them if they'd like me to sing around the tables, and they would, and they did. And I got my first job singing around the tables in Baboan for ten bob a night and a free meal. And that's how that started. And that's mainly what, I've, mainly what my life has been, you know, even though I'm, perhaps the acting things are larger and better paid. Oops. When I went to the States, was a resident MC at the Blue Angel in London and I mm. quite a lot of cabaret. And I didn't make it under the top 100 cabaret stars of the year and I thought, something wrong here. I've got to do something different. So I thought, 
I had these two managers, Bob Chardoff and Irving Winkler from the States, the people who put the Rocky movies together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they wanted to just take me on and take me to the States, make me a star. So I thought, all right, I'm either going to stay here in this kind of level of stuff, or I'm going to quit that show business and open a restaurant, or I'm going to go and give it a try in the States. So I decided to give it a try in the States, and really it was overnight success. It was absolutely amazing what happened to me there in a short space of time. Within a year, I was in a television series, you know, and I had a record in the top 40, 50. <laughs> <laughs> you were on the Ed Sullivan show, weren't you? I was on the Ed Sullivan show twice, just before before that I actually decided to go. I was on my Ed Sullivan show the first time when I went to visit my dad in New York. Yeah, I was on every show known to man, I think. Do you think, in retrospect, um, it was an advantage or a disadvantage to be the son of going into the same industry? Well, the answer is sometimes it was an advantage and sometimes it was a disadvantage. As I said hmm. to you, I tried to avoid taking advantage of it. Sometimes you were dismissed, you know, I mean... The only reason he's doing that is because he's Rex Harrison's son. You know, so you were not necessarily valued on your own face yeah. value. But uh, on the other hand, if I felt, and as I told you at the beginning, I took my fair lady job, but on the whole, if I felt it was opening doors for me, I was being taken advantage of for that, I usually tried to avoid it. Did you ever turn down a role or come close to getting a role that became a huge success and you think, damn, should have got that? No, I don't think so. I mean, it was in, in the variety field. I was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Smothers Brothers. It was a very big show in the States. Right, yeah. And the summer replacement, and they, they liked me, and the agents liked me, and they wanted to have their summer replacement show, which was made me much bigger in that side of the entertainment business. But my agent asked for too much money. They said no, and they took uh, a lovely guy called John Hartford instead. And other than that, God knows, I've got no record of the parts I've been up for. <laughs> Do you still have much of your acting work on tape or DVD or anything like that? Do you still watch it? I don't watch it. There's Stephanie Powers sent me the whole the Girl from Uncle stuff. I've only watched a couple of them. And then I have another fan in the States who keeps sending me things, and I watch bits of it, you know. But I'm not hung up on the past, really. How do you feel watching your young self on screen, though? Well, sometimes I think, oh, that was pretty good, and sometimes I think, no, oh, it wasn't very good, no. That kind of thing. Most people are the same, I think. Sure, yeah. sure. But if you could go back in time and give your young self some advice, what would it be? <laughs> I think i pat the little fellow on the back and say, well done, no, keep it up. Well. <laughs> do you think perhaps you didn't get enough of that? No. What, from my dad? Yeah, perhaps. Um, I didn't get that much of it from my dad. He mm. quite liked my music. But, uh, How do you feel watching his films? I love his work. I always have. The most That's wonderful thing of his, to me, is on YouTube, there's him and Louis Armstrong doing scat together. And that is heaven. That is, that is him. He's like that, really. And what did you think of him in My Fair Lady and Dr. Doolittle in particular? saw the, the stage version of My Fair Lady and he, no, he, he was wonderful. It was a part for him, really. Dr. Doolittle was much more true to the book than, than uh, Eddie, what's his name? <laughs> the second version. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Not that I don't love his work, too. But I mean, I thought it was a bit, I don't know, I, I grew up with the Dr. Doolittle stories being read to me aloud, so I knew them all very well. Read to you, but not by your dad? No. No, at school. 
so it wasn't quite as I imagined it. But I always enjoyed it. I always enjoy his work. I mean, going back to the Rake's Progress and or even pre-war stuff. Mm. It's always good to see him. I have a half brother. His his uh, son was Lily Palmer, his second wife, and we get on like house on fire. We get on wonderfully well. Really? He's a a writer and theatre producer, wonderful, brilliant writer. He's got a new novel being released in England on the 12th of July called Justice. And he's a brilliant writer, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant writer and runs a theatre company in upstate New York, among other many things that he does. You haven't collaborated? Uh, we'd started to a little bit because I did a one-man show about Jack Brill in the, in the 80s and... Um, I worked with him on it and he came up with a version which we actually never did in the end but I did work with him on that and ended up writing my own version that was probably I think of all the things I've done in my life that was probably the thing I'm most proud of which is called Adieu Jacques you also toured with the Beach Boys and Sonny and Cher and so on didn't you yes yeah, very different kettle of fish but yes indeed yeah absolutely that was fun and Johnny Carson Oliver Reed all these great people you work with yeah yeah I know you I haven't been on talk shows for a long time. I haven't got, I haven't got a set of anecdotes to speak to you. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> and did you meet the Beatles at all? Oh, yes. My favourite story about them, about Paul McCartney, really. I went to see him in a concert in Venice, California, when, you know, when he was married to Brenda. In the 70s? Yeah, it would be. And I went around to see him in the dressing room because I met him a few times, you know. He, didn't, he actually, one of the songs I recorded that was of a successful singer that was recommended to me by him and uh, he said Linda you're Noel Harrison and Linda says Noel Harrison <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my biggest moments oh <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see Paul McCartney again? no I haven't seen him since what about John Lennon? never knew him obviously met him briefly but no Ringo I'd done a show with does it kind of bother you that everybody remembers most windmills and you've had, you know, a, a quite a number of successful songs? And a no, it doesn't, because it was the only thing that got in the airplay in England. Mm. No, it doesn't bother me. I, I think the record company wanted me to re release Suzanne as a follow-up to windmills, but I, I didn't want to. I wanted to do something new. I think that had already been played out in the States, but I think if I had released it, it might have probably done quite well for me. Mm. And then the other one was a young girl which is an extraordinary piece of work. I, I don't particularly like the arrangement that became a hit, but it was a Charles Aznavour song, and it was translated by Oscar Brown Jr., who's a friend of mine. I don't know if you know of him. No. Yeah, Oscar Brown Jr. is a black entertainer from Chicago who wrote a musical that was on Broadway called Mr. Kicks and was a wonderful songwriter. And um, that translation was the best translation of the French, because French songs into English is not necessarily a very easy thing to pull off. A lot of people who do it just sort of take the music and write a new song to it. But this is just perfect. Brilliant. I, I hadn't sung it in years because I thought it was a bit morbid because it's about a young girl who is found dead by the side of the road because she ran off with a guy and love failed her and all that stuff. But I thought the, the arrangement that was successful was a little bit heavy. And I played it the way I used to play it for the first time in about 15, 20 years. And I think I'm going to stick it back in my show. And possibly stick it, a version of it on mine. Stick with the music, kid. Charles Aznavour, did you actually spend much time with him or meet Edith Piaf, his friend? I met Edith Piaf backstage at the Olympia with my father. My father and Kay Campbell and I all went to see her. 
Wow. We went backstage after I met her briefly there. Aznavour I met several times because uh, obviously it was his song that I was having a hit with. Yes. I met him in New York. I never got close to him, but we, he was always very nice with me. I enjoyed his company. Nice fellow. Did you have any particular conversation with Piaf that you'll never forget? Or? No, dressing, dressing room backstage conversation. Yeah. Brief. What do you feel was your greatest moment performance-wise as a, as a singer? What, what do you look back on and think, wow, that was one hell of a gig. What a privilege to be there. Or Various musical shows in, in LA in the, in the uh, 70s and work with some wonderful people. I mean, it was not a musical thing, but I, did, I was on a, a show called The Lennon Sisters Hour, and uh, I did a sketch, comedy sketch, with Jack Benny and Jimmy, Jimmy Durante. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, I love Jimmy Durante's singing or speaking. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's wonderful. Your profile on your website's very amusing, but you explain that uh, lots of uh, pretty women attracted to pop stars like you were. Well, give me an example of when you got mobbed or any time when you were inundated with screaming girls or whatever. Well, there was a period um, when Girl From Uncle was, uh, was at its peak, and right after that when I was on television, it was pretty hard to go anywhere. I mean... I, on one particular occasion, I started doing touring theatre because that was what paid the most money at the time. And I was in Ohio doing a, one of the many musicals that I've done. And I was resting in the afternoon beside the pool. And this girl came over and kicked me, away, kicked me till I woke up. Oh. And I asked for my autograph. I said, who told you to do that? She said, my dad. No. There were lots of things like that. Lots of moments. Mobbed, I don't think. I think that, that at one point, I was at something in Hollywood, some big uh, afternoon do outdoors, and I was offered at the police escort to get out, you know, I mean, just to walk out, a bunch of cops around me. I said, no, leave me alone. I'll go out, and I won't be bothered if I go by myself. That's pretty much the case. My favorite time was when I went and, I was again on tour in Ohio, and um, I went to do a, a, what they call a homecoming parade, a ride in a homecoming parade, and I, they gave me this rather jumpy horse who the moment the band started up started heading home and I managed to cool it down and ride in the parade my purple suede suit (laughs) (laughs) and um, and I got to the end and I had to get back to the theatre and I was driving this loan car that they gave you which Mm. was the star of the show which is a Cadillac and I got a police escort of deputy sheriffs to take me back to the theatre through the traffic Mm. and that was heaven May we know how you felt about your dad having six wives and you've had three? I'm not judgmental about it. I didn't try to imitate him. I love all three of the women I've been married to and I'm very blessed and fortunate because they all get on with each other and uh, that's great and they all still like me too. Yeah. God knows why. But that's, that's one of my great blessings. It's those three women, I think. And, you know, that's 12, 12 years, 17 years and... 20-something going on, more going on 30, yeah. Rod Stewart said about a couple of decades ago, men are not built to be monogamous. What do you reckon to that? I would say I wasn't, and neither was my father. And whether it's not built to be monogamous, that's just an excuse for for not being. Because there are men who are are true to their women, and uh, some men are less true than others, I guess. I try not to, to um, generalize about anything, if I can possibly, although I've probably done it already a bunch of times. But on the whole, like 
men and one thing and women another thing. Yes, men and men are different from women, obviously. It's like when my my, my twins were little. They say, are they identical? And I say, no, they're a boy and a girl. And I say, <laughs> they say, yes, but are they identical? And I say, think below the waist, because you're not identical. Um, that kind of thing. I don't have any opinion about my dad being married six times. You know? mm. I don't have any opinion about me being married three times, except as I told you, I've been very lucky with, with the women who've chosen me, as it were, as opposed to the women I chose. Are any of your children or grandchildren in show business? Well, my daughter Catherine was in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Catherine Harrison, she was very successful and uh, did a BBC series about Peter Sackville West. And she uh, gradually sort of felt like, um, she's 52 now, she felt like she didn't really like the part she was getting and she's, she was too old for the young ones and not didn't look old enough for the older ones, kind of quit. She directed a production of Macbeth, a Scottish play down here a couple of years ago, which lots of us locals were in. And mm-hmm. that was nice to work with her. Yeah. And my eldest son, Simon, he's a psychologist, but he did play guitar and sing quite a lot professionally. And Harriet, the third one, she's a horse lady. She, she's a brilliant horse trainer and uh, lives up the hill from here with her two kids. And then Chloe, my twin, I had twins from my second marriage, Chloe mm-hmm. and Will. And Chloe was in the music business for a long time on the on the creative side, uh, production side, and uh, she just recently stopped doing that. She's running it out of home. She'd take artists, and she'd be the first person that the production company would call if they wanted artwork and design mm. and planning and that kind of thing. She's very good at that. May we know whereabouts in Devon you are? I'm in Ashburton. Okay, and and why did you choose that particular place? Because that's where my kids are living. Right, okay, that's good. (laughs) So I'd come over and visit them here, and uh, it's a lovely area. And may we know what the house is like? Like four-bedroom detached with a pool or whatever? (laughs) Well, I'm not there anymore. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I ran away from that, you know. Sure. When I built my own house in Nova Scotia. No, it's a a row house uh, built in 1910, and it's got uh, two bedrooms and the living room and the kitchen and the dining room and a little garden, walled garden at the back. And much evidence of your career on the walls or on the mantelpiece or anything? Not that I can see from here. You probably realise by now I'm not that kind of show-offy type, really. No, quite. I do understand that. But I thought you might have one or two sort of pictures that you treasure or whatever, or gold disc or something. No, I've got some stuff on the wall in my office. You know, pictures of all my kids. And I've got no particular picture of... uh, me and a bunch of famous people. <laughs> so which famous people are you still in touch with? I'm sure you've still got good <laughs> friends in the industry. <laughs> oh. Did you mention Stephanie Powers earlier? Oh, well, yes, of course. Yeah. There's nobody in particular that I can think of that's famous in show business right now that I'm in touch with. I have, you know, a few friends locally. I like what my life is like. You know, I'm not sort of hankering after show business things. Do you have any regrets? A couple of times I could have treated my wife a little better, but mm. um, on the whole, I, no, I don't have any regrets mm. about what I've chosen to do. Have you written a book? I've been trying for quite a long time to write a book. I was employed as a screenwriter in L.A. for a while, and um, so I got into writing, which I enjoyed very much. And I started writing it in a rather fragmented way of different chapters about my work and private life and all that stuff. And then I decided it was getting too 
heavy so or too messy or something so i decided to write the, my life down chronologically and go to work on it from there and i actually got as far as the beginning of my third marriage to Lori, mm -hmm. now, and haven't done any since then i was writing on a daily basis until about six or eight months ago and now i find it hard to concentrate on it but it'll come back i think what have you called the book i haven't called it anything <laughs> this is your autobiography though yes but these days publishers are always want sensationalism don't they? do you feel under pressure to sort of spill beans and things perhaps you're not so keen to do no i don't want to do it right i mean i can't anyway i don't know enough about it all no if they don't if they want a, a tell or scandal sheet they're looking at the wrong guy i hope that i can carry something with my writing that'll be entertaining and interesting to people you know have you spoke to publishers about it or are you going to no. self-publish no. no i'm not going to do that till i've got something worth showing how many words have you written so far then Thirty-three thousand. Oh, that's pretty good yeah. keep going <laughs> yeah really will there be much in it that we don't know about you will there be many surprises i don't know i, I imagine the people who know nothing about me will all be surprising might be surprising that I thought I might be the second coming of Jesus when I was a kid. Did you really? Yeah, I was a very good boy. But then I did something stupid, like fired, fired my air gun at the wrong place and oh, just missed an old lady, and I realized Jesus would never have done that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any sort of ambitions? No, no, I don't. No, I'm, I'd like to make a record that uh, has a little airplay and makes a little mark and it's mm. by it. That would be nice. I'd like to do a few more shows come next year and build myself up a little bit just so that maybe I can sell some records and maybe get my book sorted because I'd like to be able to leave my wife with some money if I can I unfortunately never got paid for that BT ad that was me singing windmills they never paid any money how come? how come they didn't pay you? Uh, the, the English company that did it said they were indemnified by the American company the American company I've had a very poor deal on that in a way but on the other hand I'm grateful for it because it's certainly done my career power of good but as far as getting money out of it I have no idea what went wrong but the contract was probably the wrong kind of contract or it was a contract written before they had the internet you know people probably assume that being the son of Sir Rex Harrison you would have inherited a fortune and been breaking it in from royalties but not the case no no all his royalties go to his widow which is fine with me and I did inherit some money but uh, it's all gone now it wasn't millions or anything like that yeah it's very tough in this recession isn't it I'm very lucky because I have two American Union pensions Green Actors Guild and Actors Equity and that and American <coughs> Social Security are enough to keep the wolf from the door you know it's nice to get a little extra by doing music really do you have any other homes anywhere in America or London? No, I would have sold them if I had. I had homes that are now worth a great deal of money. But I, I worked on the principle of buy high, sell low through my life, and I don't think that was very <laughs> <laughs> But do you think you're here to stay in England now, or do you still hanker for America or anywhere like that? No, I'm definitely going to stay here. I mean, I like to. I take it you're not going to be doing Glastonbury again in a hurry? Well, no, I mean... Uh, not for any particular reasons, but um, it's a bit hard for me to do festivals. But that was a good experience for you, wasn't it, Glastonbury? Oh, yes, I had a great time. Yeah. yeah. But how do you feel thinking you may only have two or three years left? What does that make you think as a human being? What does it make me think of? I've got a lot of things to do before I go. I hope I can shit the sort through. 
think one day at a time. And um, I think the most important thing about feeling one does not have that much, all that much time left, is not to brood on it, because any waste of time you've got, my principle is to enjoy my life. Yes. Which it sounds like you really have most of the time. Yes, I think so. I think going to eastern Canada and doing that life and building my own house, that had a huge effect on the rest of my life. And how do you want people to remember you after you've gone? Well, it'd be nice if they, if they remember me fondly. Uh, it'd be nice if they remember me. <laughs> do you feel a bit overlooked, Noel? No, not at all. No, not in the least. I'm amazed how much people do remember me and how much they cared about what I do. No, I, I look back on my life in general and, look, and I feel quite happy about how it's gone. I've been very lucky and also done some quite wonderful things for myself.